Welcome to my so-called opera life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works. Each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. So, here we are. We're back. Yay! (laughs) A little bit scary, but we met... uh, in the park the other day that was nice it was great to like be in person again for the first time in months i know um and we were just talking about life um and uh some some realizations and some some shit that some we wanted shit. to share and and as is kind of like par for the course with us in the middle of that conversation, we both looked at each other and we're like, we need to be recording this right now. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. Uh, Recently, a Yap Tracker post was announced on Yap Tracker uh, saying that there was an important information regarding young artist program deadlines. And that's what we want to talk about today. Um, a little bit in addition to what is going on, we are in late summer and normally we are in the land of recording for auditions and now everyone's wondering what the fuck to do. So uh, Yap Tracker came up with a post that said many of those uh, normal deadlines will not be until later um, and to continue to monitor Yap Tracker's Yep, Tucker's posts. Um, and we've seen our friends asking everyone, asking each other, what are you guys doing? Are you guys making recordings? Are you guys doing what? And I was just, it got me thinking, like, so many people are talking about how there's no work. There's no more work. They're not, and they don't have anything to work on. And it's like, are we realizing that we were working, quote unquote, working just for auditions. Right. And I think that that's a little bit sad, a little bit crazy. And now there's no auditions coming up. And so, you know, what the hell were we all doing pre-quarantine? Us, us included. Like we've had to look at ourselves as well. So my question was, like, how many of these singers that are talking about how they have nothing to work on, like, how many of them were actually working in a full-time or part-time capacity pre-quarantine? How many singers come into this field and actually land jobs that they're able to call a career? Like, what is a career? What, what is, quote-unquote, the work of a young artist What's expected of someone who's like 20 something graduated from their career, but still considered young Mm -hmm. um, for an opera career, which like in other jobs, you know, usually you're on a career track by then, right? Or you're on, 
you're, I mean, by career track, I mean, you have a job that you may, might want to keep for several years, or maybe like it will lead you to another job. Like you sort of have an idea of what's going on. Marcel and I were like talking about how we don't have that. I don't have that. And right. partly I don't have that because I refused to make commitments that I felt like would hold me back from what may come like from audition season this upcoming year. Right. Agreed. It's forced a conversation, I think, like internally and externally about, you know, what what are we doing as singers when, like you're asking, like, are most of us, and I think it is probably most of us, the work that we were doing as opera singers was exactly what you're saying of preparing for audition season and like this cycle of, you know, all summer we prep for audition season. This is going to be my year. Our package is going to be nice and shiny and sparkly. And I'm going to stand out this time in the hopes of getting a job. Um, And the reality is that only, I think, statistically, we're probably looking at a number around like 10% of people who audition are actually going to get work from it. Right. Which then puts us back in this cycle of, okay, I didn't get opera work. And so then I'm just going to go back again and work on my audition package again, right? We have this pre, this fixation on the audition package. Right. And And the auditions and just keep auditioning. So I I wrote sort of this scathing, I think, (laughs) blurb on my phone, like, you know, at three o'clock in the morning that was like, what the hell were we doing pre-quarantine? I'm just going to read some of that post now just to give you a sense of like where my head was at. So I, I go on to say like by part-time, I mean 20 hours a week into, I would even take into account rehearsals and time at t- rehearsal time and practice. The fact is the majority of young artists, and I am talking about young artists working in this capacity is very low. The fact is most young artists were constantly preparing for preparing for an audition season in which they probably didn't get anything. The thought that I'm putting out here is this pre-quarantine, you were hiding behind the audition season. You weren't really facing what it really means for you to be an artist in this world. And now you have to because of quarantine. All you had was auditions to look at. How many auditions that you went to did you actually land? Now, that's not really the point because there are hundreds of auditions and you might just get one job. We know that to be true. But really, how many jobs are you actually getting? Was it enough to see a quote unquote career happening? If it was, then of course, we're not really talking to you. There's... I don't know how many people, we were trying to look up the numbers and we're going to get a little bit into the numbers in a little bit, but there's a very small percent of people in the United States that work a full-time singing career. That's the dream, but it's just not possible for most of us. And that doesn't mean that you can't be a singer, but it does mean that you have to think outside of the audition season. If you want to be a singer today and you actually want it to happen for you in whatever way is possible, you have to look outside of auditions you have to look within. You have to ask yourself what you want to say as an artist and what you want to do as an artist and stop making believe that your work, quote unquote work, is the audition season. So that's right. just sad. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you know, when you read that to me the first time, like the first thing that came to mind of, you know, was even just this cycle of preparing for audition season, paying for audition season, going through audition season, and then start back all over again, whether you got work or not, you know, essentially means that we as the opera singers 
are the ones paying for the survival of our industry by the very fact that we continue to put money into this cycle and with what to show for it. Yeah. So let's look at those numbers. Cause so we wanted to know, like, I mean, in my little blurb, in my little rant, I was like, you know, 10% of people actually do it. I don't know what the numbers are. And I know people are dying to know what, what the numbers are, what the competition is. Maybe it doesn't matter because it's fucking astronomical, but maybe but, Zach can do a little uh, article yeah. for us. Right, <laughs> a little research magic. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's telling that I've tried to look for these numbers in the past myself and the fact that they are nowhere to be found, that there's no kind of reporting if, of any kind that I could find at least on those very, very numbers. Like to me, it's just like, okay, there's a truth here that is being obscured whether intentionally or not. And this is an, this, these are our kinds of numbers that we need to get to the bottom of if we're going to find equity for all of the singers in this industry. Right. So we were able, so we, so we couldn't really look at the numbers in exactly the way we wanted to, but what we, we did find an article from 2018, um, Wolf Trap Opera, our favorite bloggers, um, <laughs> um, who did uh, uh, the stats on the audition tour 2019. So this is looking for 2019 candidates. And it was reported that 1,000 and 1,134 applications were received. This is a 300% increase from a, just a couple of decades ago, which we maybe talk about that reason later. 444 were scheduled, so less than half got an audition. And then 3% are expected to get be offered a spot. And is that 3% of the 444 or 3% of the 1100? It doesn't, it doesn't say it's not clear. The top 3%, I think 3% total of, I I suspect that that's of the 444 number. Yeah. Below it says only the top 3% of applications will go on. So I don't, we don't know which one that is, but either way, 3%. And they write, um, as a member of our board of directors says, it's harder to get into Wolf Trap Opera than it is to get into Harvard, which is true actually for a lot of summer programs, not just summer programs, but I should say opera training programs, whether that be college or young artist. So that was story number one, that it's very selective. Um, story and and they also say singers who spend time here will develop important colleague relationships that will last their entire careers. They forgot to write at the end of that if they have careers, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Because even how many of those few people then actually go on to have a career that's a full time career, right? It's not all of them, but we don't know those numbers either, so we need those numbers too. Um, but and I don't know specifically for Wolf Trap, but I know we all know a singer who did such and such yap program and then you're like okay why are you here <laughs> wait why are you singing here right now <laughs> right why are you scraping the bottle of the barrel you're part you should be part of that selective 10 percent. and here it means like getting paid maybe nothing and there, like no shame honestly like I don't mean to diss on singers at all no, I mean, because we've all done it. We've all taken a contract that maybe pays us $300 for literally 100 hours worth of work, if not more. Right. It's just that we need to, like, talk about this. And you're not the only person. Like, we've all done it. 
Because I think, well, and I think the important thing here is that it's not about the individual singer at that point. It's about how fucked up is our industry that singers who have got, who have like had the talent and the chops and the acumen to get it, make it into these incredible young artist programs that ostensibly are there to get you started on a career path that they're having to still scrape the bottom of the barrel in terms of the types of work that they have to take in order to feel like they are having a career. Exactly. And then they say like about this 3%, and there's a, there's a second story, story two. It's all in the same blog post. We'll, we'll post the blog post. Our company isn't the only one seeing over a thousand applications a year. It's becoming the norm. That's because many of you are applying to a series of programs. Like we're applying to all the top programs mostly and others too, <laughs> and the not top programs, right? Uh, every single fucking program in the universe. Um, so, and then, and then it says, this is the last paragraph. You will all find your place if you want it and are ready for it. There's a wealth of opportunities out there far more than a generation ago. And if you point yourself and your current level of development in the right direction, you will be welcomed and you will continue to grow. Spoiler alert. That's a lie. (laughs) Marcel and I like really don't think that's true. And that's the kind of rhetoric that is detrimental to a singer and the kind of singer that we're us included. I want to be clear, like not shaming singers, but that's the kind of rhetoric that has kept me from making my own career choices, making my own opportunities Um, choosing things that would be sustainable and beneficial to myself in the long run. Because like all the companies and all the coaches and all the teachers and all the friends and colleagues just are like, you're you're so good. You're going to make it this year. Yeah. There's a place for you. And it's like, there's actually, there's not. Right. (laughs) There's actually not a place for me. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And there's just, there's not a place for all of us. There's just not a place for all of us. Exactly. Um, There's just not a place for all of us. I mean, as we talked about this, the first time I said this and, you know, all of these, uh, looking at all these numbers and having this conversation now in the context of quarantine and COVID and what the future of that is going to look at, it's made me come to the realization that like, I've put projects that could potentially actually be a sustainable form of income for me on the back burner. Mm -hmm. I've not prioritized projects that would bring me financial stability as well as artistic fulfillment. Because even though I've been on that platform of saying, you know, we all have to make a career that works for us and just like go for the thing that resonates with us in the back of my mind, I've still held out that tiny little hope that maybe just maybe I would be one of those special artists who gets to be in the 10%. And maybe, just maybe, I won't chase my pet project yet, just in case Mm -hmm. I get that phone call. Yeah. So like literally holding myself back because there's a part of me that still wants that validation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you know, to have the career, to be the singer who's at the Met and only gets to sing and doesn't have to worry about any other. And doesn't, and that's the, too, like we want to sing for places where we get to be the singer and we get to be not worrying about the other parts and the other aspects 
like very specifically a lot of times finances and we want the money like we want the money not for ourselves but for the company to like put on a good production it costs a lot of money right but also like in in a capitalist society you know money is how we how we um measure worth Mm. right and so part of measuring that worth is is what i bring to the stage worth paying me a living wage for. And quite frankly, I think all of us at whatever level of our development have an inherent human dignity that is worth receiving a living wage for. And that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. You but is it, it's intersectional with this one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. To go with that quarantine, the pandemic has brought to light how these companies, how different people, I should even say, protect the things they care about and leave what they can't and or what they don't want to. I don't even know if I'm making sense, but there's just been choices that have been made. I mean, singers getting the force majeure started with that, right? Right. And where they're cutting costs and where they're not. And I mean, in some ways, I think the pandemic is going to almost entirely eradicate the stigma of ha- having a side hustle and it's going to open up i think the, this com- this exact conversation about okay well we we weren't actually making a living wage before anyway so can we stop hiding the fact that we actually have to work a secondary job to make a career and opera quote unquote work in a way that means that we can provide health insurance for ourselves, that we can provide a retirement plan for ourselves, that we can pay our rent, that we can pay off our student loans, that we can afford to eat and live in, you know, homes that are not dilapidated. (laughs) Um, And honestly, the more that we do that, the, the more I think classical music will grow and thrive because if singers are able to, like Zach Finkelstein says in his article, how to make a living wage as a singer, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You have to slowly build your career so that it can be sustainable and have something that keeps it keeps you going in the meantime. Or else, like many singers, including me, trying to do the sprint to get all the auditions going, audition, 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 audition until you're totally burnt out. You're totally out of money. You're totally just fuck it all. And you're done being a musician now. Right. Or we have a pandemic and it means that all of the work is now gone. And then what? Yeah. And the the pandemic aside, by the way, I'm, I'm not, not a musician anymore, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. But you know, I will definitely admit to feeling right now you know, when I saw that, I didn't even see that announcement on Yap Tracker because, quite frankly, my Yap Tracker subscription expired back in April. And I just don't feel like <laughs> I have the money to pay for it again, particularly when that platform has literally not changed in the 10 years that I've been on it. You know, but also just like I'm thinking ahead and going, okay, I'm looking at the fact that there's now been some data collected. And it looks like, you know, out of 46 major companies, 25 of them are planning as of right now to offer their 2020 artists next year's spot. Yeah. Um, So that means that out of those 46 companies, which we know there's maybe only about a hundred tops, you know, a quarter of them are giving, you know, their contract to this year's artists, which like makes sense. I, I, I get that they want to value 
um, the contracts that they offered in some ways. Like it's not a knock on that, but as me, for me, it's like, is it even worth it to pay for Yap Tracker, to pay for application fees? The audition, the, the opportunities were so infinitesimal, bleh, infinitesimal to begin with. And I'm just going to be wasting my money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are the questions that we've been struggling with and we wanted to share on the podcast. You know, we're struggling as much as the next person, um, but we have both of us tried to make our own opportunities and we just want to encourage. And we've been, I mean, I hope from the beginning, you all realize that like we've been trying to highlight multifaceted careers from the beginning because we know that that's the case. And even more so than now, more so than ever, it's important. And people are doing it. People are doing cool shit. They're doing really cool shit. I, I like, I like that the pandemic has kind of allowed people to open their minds to doing things that are out of the box. And because now we're not all vying for opera companies' attention, that we're like, okay, yeah, let's dig into making our own opportunities and like how to figure out how to do that in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand, I want to say that it it is fucked up that. <laughs> In an industry that literally relies on us to do the work of telling these stories, of singing these, making these productions happen as the singers, that we're so undervalued that we have to have a second job alongside mm-hmm. a career that literally takes like thousands of hours of work to be able to do this job well. Mm-hmm. Here are three ways you can support the movement of artists supporting artists. One, share and like our podcast with others on social media. Two, leave a review and rate our show wherever it is that you're listening to our podcast. And three, sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash my so-called opera life. Behind the Curtain with the Opera Dolls. I'm Jenny. I'm Anna. And I'm Christina. And we're three New York City opera singers that created plush opera singing dolls in order to make opera tangible, relevant, and accessible to all, especially kids. We love opera. You love opera. But why don't our kids play some for them, people? We know these plots aren't always kid-friendly. Our little mezzo Carmen, quote-unquote, the traveler, and all the sopranos that die in the end. Whoops. But... Let's be real. This art form is super important and has inspired music and society throughout history. Check us out on theoperadolls.com or follow us at The Opera Dolls on Instagram. Hey everyone, it's Anna from The Opera Dolls coming to you with five helpful tips to keep your students engaged in distance learning. Tip number one is create a routine. Keep the same routines you had in person with your class or private students. If you did vocal warm-ups, or you played scales, or you had a hello song, continue to recreate these online. Tip number two is engage face-to-face. I found that video lessons and Zoom classes were much more successful than audio alone, leaving assignments, or pre-recording videos. Tip number three is check out on them academically and emotionally. Our students are going through a lot right now, as we all are. Check in on them as part of your routine. 
I like to ask my students how they're doing at the beginning of class and make sure they know I'm here for their musical, academic, and social-emotional growth. Tip number four is do interactive assignments together. Have a few go-to activities or classroom responses that are interactive. We need to adapt the traditional lecture style of teaching to our new educational frontier. I like to have my students comment and engage with each other in the chat section of our Google Meets, or I tell them during a listening assignment to drop a smiley face in the chat if they've heard the song before. Tip number five, don't get bogged down with too much tech. Pick a few that work for you and be consistent. I can't stress this one enough. When schools first went online, you'd hear about a thousand new apps or websites to try a day, and it was quite frankly very overwhelming, especially for my colleagues that are less tech savvy. I recommend you pick one to three resources and use them consistently. I personally love Google Classroom, YouTube, and BandLab, which is free cloud-based music production software. Thanks for listening. I hope these tips can help you connect a bit more with your students virtually. And now back to our hosts. Here are some cool people that we found through our own, our own searching and our own findings. Just to highlight a couple, because we do want to not shame anybody and highlight people that are brave enough to figure it out, figure it out, especially within the music industry, but even outside of it, that's cool too. Right. So middle-class artist. Zach is killing it on the, killing it on the journalism front for sure. He's such a great researcher. It's amazing. No one has the, uh, the brain to do that kind of work. <laughs> We've always wanted that kind of work to come out. And we're so happy he came on the podcast and we're so happy to see him just releasing so many amazing articles. Right. And, and using his growing. Yeah. And growing and using his side career to try to help the industry move forward from this in a way that's going to make things better for everybody. Uh, Diction Buddy also started by singers. Yeah. Um, and also running like some kind of mini digital competitions so that then there can be live stream performances um, that highlight what their platform does as a resource to help singers with diction, but also highlight the rep that you use. They had a Russian contest, which was awesome. Oh, awesome. And Bahala Media. Uh, Bahala Media is committed to re-energizing the world of classical music in the digital realm. And it is started by... Uh, currently unemployed singers, which is awesome. Right. We also have people starting their own um, virtual teaching studios or performing companies, opera companies um, like Due Donne and Alter Ego. Um, and, and really thinking outside of the box with those productions. Mm-hmm. They're like, they, they, they are inherently understanding that we can't necessarily translate stage works the way we did them to an online platform. You know, if you have the budget like Met in HD, great, but most of us don't. And like Due Donne in particular did like an abbreviated, abridged Hansel and Gretel, but they did recordings of singers with (laughs) video from uh, Animal Crossing on Switch, which I think (laughs) is like super cute and super relevant to an audience that maybe wouldn't care for opera otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's so outside of the box and so fun. I love it. And then... And then us. Yeah. I started a new company called New Groove Music Studio, a teaching music studio. Um, We hire 
we hire teaching artists, uh, not just teachers. We hire um, musicians that want to perform and teach. And we've created a company that highlights that and promotes that to our clients. Awesome. Awesome. My project still doesn't have a name. So if anyone has any suggestions, um, <laughs> my collaborative pianist and I have been kind of talking about forever doing, you know, creating an ensemble primarily for us, but also that would include guest artists as well um, that do immersive stagings of art song recitals. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly COVID makes that a little bit harder. So we've been exploring ways to create immersive theater experiences within the home. And we're going to be debuting some of that in the next few weeks for our concert in late August, but also with a commitment to um, commissioning and programming works by composers of color and women and new music all around kind of paired with some classic things in unconventional ways. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. She really, I, I think it's really great, Marcel. <laughs> and uh, also uh, to that end, there are tons of singers out there doing unique stuff and there's all these, you know, different, uh, people coming out with workshops and I always like the workshops. I hate the workshops that are teaching you how to be a better singer. Cause like, I just hate them. Sorry. <laughs> and, but I love the ones that are unique. I did um, some classes on like teaching in the virtual arena and composing, not for me, but for my students in the virtual arena and um, also producing Beth Morrison project she's amazing and she's doing a producer academy right now it's going to start soon she had like a free free online version but how to be a producer which Ooh. is really cool right and that's a side of things that a lot of us don't have a lot of experience with until we start to jump in as running our own companies or managing our own projects and yeah or just producing one one production that maybe hopefully leads to more right so there are some silver linings. Yeah. You know, but not to fall into toxic positivity land, <laughs> you know, like acknowledging also that like, this is hard. Like alongside of this, we're also doing a lot of grieving for lost work and lost opportunities and missing our musical communities. But also, you know, then I think, I think it's giving us all some space to reassess what's really important. Mm -hmm. Why are we in this industry? Why? Yep. You know, we're asking all these really hard questions and beyond like acknowledging, yeah, things are messed up. People are really digging into the, how do we, how do we move from here? How do we correct these issues and make choices that work better for us as individuals? Yeah. We push ourselves and we encourage you guys to be a part of the change, whatever way that means for you in your career and whatever way that means for for opera, let's push this beautiful art form forward and change it and make it better. So that we all have work. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> well, that's our episode for today. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode on social media at My So-Called Opera Life or send us an email at info at mysocalledoperalife.com. We love to hear from you. Finally, many thanks to our season two sponsor, the Sparkle Twins. If you're looking for a mouth mask these days so you can leave your house to stock up on coffee, 
or let's be serious, some wine. <laughs> Support these artists in the process by ordering one of their mouth masks made especially with singers and performers in mind. To order yours, visit www.sopranotwins.com forward slash shop. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep on singing. Bye.